Okay, Revelation chapter 10. <clears throat> As we continue to weave our way through this interesting book, Revelation chapter 10. <clears throat> Tonight, it's another commercial break. It's an, it's a, an interlude, you might say, uh, with some information amongst all the judgment of God being poured out upon the, or, the earth. Um, it's some information to encourage us, is what it really is. So entitled the message, An Encouraging Interlude. Revelation chapter 10. <clears throat> I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was upon his head. His face was as it were the sun, his feet as pillars of fire. And he had in his hand a little book open, and he set his right foot upon the sea and his left foot on the earth, and cried with a loud voice as when a lion roareth, and when he had uttered their voices. And when the, the seven thunders had uttered their voices, I was about to write. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered, and write them not. And the angel which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth lifted up his hand to heaven, and swear by him that liveth forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that therein are, and the earth and the things that therein are, and the sea and the things which are therein, that there should be time no longer but in the days of the voice of the seventh angel when he shall begin to sound the mystery of God should be finished as he hath declared to his servants the prophets and the voice which I heard from heaven spake unto me again and said go and take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel which standeth upon the sea and upon the earth and I went unto the angel and said unto him give me the little book and he said unto me Take it and eat it up. It shall make thy belly bitter, but it shall be in thy mouth sweet as honey. And I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it up. And it was in my mouth sweet as honey. And as soon as I had eaten it, my belly was bitter. And he said unto me, Thou must prophesy again before many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this opportunity we have to open your precious word. We thank you, Father, for this encouraging interlude, this time that you pause in the recording of your judgments upon wicked mankind, which are yet to come upon the face of the earth, where you pause to encourage our hearts and to challenge us to be faithful and to watch that we might hold fast and might continue to trust your promises to keep the faith that's been once delivered unto the saints. So glorify yourself. And we'll thank you and praise you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This chapter, or the chapter opens with a mighty angel come down from heaven. And due to the description of him, some think it is the Lord himself. If you notice, it says that 
that he was clothed with a cloud and a rainbow was upon his head, not roundabout, but upon. His feet were as the sun, and his pillars feet or his face was as the sun, I'm sorry, and his feet as pillars of fire. So some think it was it is the Lord himself, but others think it's it is an angel. One one commentator said said that it believed it would be Michael the Archangel. It's some great angel. It says it was a it was a mighty angel, so main an angel with significant power or force. And uh, but in verse nine it refers to him as the angel again, and verse seven talks about the seventh angel, uh, and he is the one that has his foot on the earth and on the sea. So it's oh I believe it's the one of the angels who holds the seventh trumpet judgment, and of course we understand that understand that you know the seventh seal opened the seven trumpets. And the seventh trumpet will open the seven vile judgments. And in that seventh trumpet judgment is the seven vials which will finish, bring to an end God's judgment and set up his kingdom. So it will be the consummation of all things. And so, so before he opens the seventh seal here, he is summarizing the conclusion or the consummation of the vile judgments is what he's doing here in chapters 11, chapter 10 and 11. It's, you know, it's an interlude. It is some information the Lord gives to encourage his people that he is going to keep his promises to us and to the nation of Israel. So with that in mind, why don't you notice four things, or three things, I guess it is, Three or four. Three. I do have some other, some sub points too. But first of all, he will, and you know, we're, we're talking about God giving some, uh, summarizing the conclusion or the consummation of all things or the bringing of all things to a conclusion. First of all, he will take possession of all the earth. If you notice in verse 2, it says, And he had in his hand a little book open, and he set his right foot upon the sea, and his left foot on the earth. Now, there's a question about the little book. I believe it's the Bible. And, you know, is it the, and, and some would say that it's the same book that Jesus uh, was given in, uh, that, that, that was, uh, that in chapter 5 where it said, who is worthy to open the seals of the book? And referred to the title deed of the earth. But, you know, really in the Bible, we have recorded for us the creation of the earth. And to whom it was given. You know, God made the earth. He made it for man to dwell in. And then he gave man dominion over all the earth. Genesis tells us that. But in his sin, man ceded that dominion to the devil. And so, uh, when it says here that he, you know, he's, he he's, uh, sets his right foot upon the sea and his left foot on the, the earth... It's symbolic of the fact that God is going to take back into his possession all the earth, and Jesus will be king over all the earth. That's going to be the end of all things. He's going to set his feet on. You know, in, in Deuteronomy eleven twenty four, when the children of Israel were, were about to go into the, the land of Israel, 
The Lord said to them, Every place whereon the soles of your feet shall tread shall be yours. From the wilderness in Lebanon, from the river, the river Euphrates, even from the outermost sea shall be your so your coast be. So every place you your soles or your feet tread on shall be yours. It speaks of taking possession. And again in Joshua chapter 1, verse 3. The promise was made to Joshua and again the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses. So here what we have is this angel you know, summarizing for us what is about to take place when he blows that seventh trumpet, out of which will come those seven vile trumpet or judgments, and that those seven vile trumpets are going to bring to an end man's dominion of the earth or we should say satan's dominion of the earth satan is considered the god of this world the prince of the power of the air and so it is god's predetermined foreordained purpose that in the sounding of the seventh angel the lord will take back to himself that which was lost through man's sin in fact if you look in chapter 15 uh, in verse one, it says, And I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them is filled up the wrath of God. So, again, the seven last plagues, of course, refer to the seven vile judgments, which will not be spoken of until we get to chapter 16. But, you know, the seventh, the seventh angel here is the one who will open those seventh vile judgments. So, so, the angel, the Lord is here reminding us that he is, this is still yet future, he is going to take possession of all the earth. The second thing we see here is that God is telling us, reminding us, that he will bring it to an end this period we call time. If you notice in verses 4 through 6, when the seven thunders had uttered their voices, I was about to write, and heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Seal up those things which seven thunders uttered, and write them not. And the angel which saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth, lifted up his hand to heaven, and swear by him that liveth forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that therein are, and the earth and the things that therein are, and the sea and the things which are therein, that there should be time no longer. There should be time no longer. You know, in this period of time, there are many things we do not understand. John was told, now we don't know what these seven thunders were, but John was told not to write. You know, there are many questions we could ask. Why this? What about that? Why me? And so on. What happens? You know, what, are, what is it going to be like? You know, we can ask all kinds of questions that are not really clearly answered in the Bible. What is it really going to be like? In heaven? I mean, what's going to be like during those thousand years of ruling and reigning with Christ? What exactly are we going to be doing? Well, you know, the Bible does give some hints. It says we're going to rule and reign with him. It says we're going to judge the world. Uh, but how that is all going to come to pass, you know, we, 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 and, and what's going to be involved in that, we don't, always, we don't know all those for, things for sure. But all we need to know is given us in his word. 
And even in that, there are some things that are difficult to comprehend. You know, it doesn't bother me. The things that I don't understand about the Bible is not what really bothers me. What really bothers me is the things I do understand. But God has given us what we need to understand. And what he has not given us, we don't need to know. Or we could not in our finite minds comprehend it anyway. You know, Daniel was told of things to come he did not understand. In Daniel 12, verses 8 and 9, he says, And I heard, but I understood not. Then said I, O my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? And he said, Go thy way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed to the time of the end. You know, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, I think it's 1 Corinthians 3, 12, For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. See, we see through a glass darkly. There are are many things that we cannot quite comprehend. That we really can't have trouble explaining. Can you explain the Trinity? Or how God can become a man? No, we we accept it by faith. We understand it by faith. And so there are many things we don't understand, but this thing we do understand, but this, this time, but time, this period we call time, is going to be brought to a close. Again, that's hard for us to understand, because that's all we know. Your time was made for man. It is a recreation of God. The Bible says in the first day he made heaven and earth, and the second day he made this, and the third day he made that. You know, he, he created days. He created time. But time is for us. We measure everything by time. We say, well, I'm going to the store. Well, do I have time? We have to be at work at a certain time. Leave for work at a certain time. Get up at a certain time. Eat at a certain time. Get home at a certain time. If I want to get home by 8.30, I must leave by a certain time. So I have to be done by a certain time. You know, we we measure everything by time. Pay is determined by how much we make in a certain time. We divide time into millenniums, centuries, years, months, days, hours, minutes, and seconds. But God dwells in the past, present, and the future all at the same time. He sees the end from the beginning. You see, this period that we call time refers to man's day, the day of man. It's a, it's a time of man's dominion over the earth, where, and again, as he ceded it to the devil, it's a day of man's choosing to do his own will, to, to go his own way, to do his own thing, of man surrendering his dominion to the devil. And the angel is saying to us here, man's day is over. It's over. The day of man being allowed to do his own will is over. He's had his opportunity. 6,000, 7,000 years, man has had opportunity to do his own thing. What has he done? The day of man shaking his fists at God rejecting a creator who loves him and made him for fellowship, 
who gave his son to pay for his sin, for his sin, that day is going to be over. You see, time will be no more. The angel said, time will be no longer. It will be, after this, it will be eternity with the Lord or eternity without the Lord in the lake of fire. Peter spoke of this in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. 2 Peter 3, 12 and 13 says, Looking for and hasting unto the coming, notice, of the day of God. It's not the day of man anymore, it's the day of God. Wherein the heavens shall be on fire, shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. So God's encouraging his people here, look, I'm going to bring this time period, this day of man to an end. By the way, it's a day when man can persecute and kill one another and persecute God's people and slay them. It's going to come to an end. God's going to bring it to an end. And in bringing it to an end, he will notice the third thing here. He will fulfill all his promises. Notice in verse 7. But the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sign, the mystery of God should be finished, as he hath declared to his servants the prophets. Now, a mystery is something before hidden that is now made known. The word finished here is interesting. It means to do just as commanded and generally involving a notion of time to perform the last uh, act which completes a process. It completes a process. Uh, and, and he says here in verse 7, he, what he, the mystery of God should be finished as he hath declared to his servants the prophets. So what God has declared to his prophets, he is going to finish. In other words, he's going to accomplish it. He's going to bring it to its end. He's going to bring it to pass. Well, what is it that God declared to his prophets that has not yet been fulfilled? Well, look at a few verse, chapters here, verses of scripture. Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11 and chapter 12. Isaiah 11, 1 says, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And he sh shall, and shall make him a quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness shall he judge the poor, and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. And righteousness shall be girdle of his loins, and faithfulness the girdle of his reins, the wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and the little child shall lead them. 
And the cow and the bear shall feed, their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox, and the sucking child shall play in the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the cockatrice den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now let me ask you, has that ever been has it ever been like that? Has that ever come to pass? No. No. It's interesting. It says in verse 4, But with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth, and he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. You know, Revelation 19 says he's going to slay the wicked with the sword of his mouth when he returns. When Lord Jesus Christ returns. See, this is talking here about the future. This is talking about what we often refer to as the battle of Armageddon. When Christ comes back, and we're going to come back with him, and he's going to smite the wicked and destroy them. He's going to cast the, cast the, the false prophet and the beast into the lake of fire and, and, uh, and so on. You know, and, and he's going to judge the wicked and he's going to set up his kingdom. Chapter, uh, we go on here. Um, it says in verse 10, Isaiah 11, verse 10, In that day there shall be a root out of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign of the people. To it shall the Gentiles seek, and his rest shall be glorious. There's not been a period of rest on the earth ever since sin entered the world. And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people which shall be left from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, and from Hamath, and from the islands of the sea. He shall set up an ensign for the nations, shall assemble the outcasts of Israel, and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. The envy also, notice, the envy also of Ephraim shall depart. You know, Ephraim was always jealous of all the other tribes. Remember when Gideon... Uh, defeated the, the kings and, and they chided with Gideon, Gideon and gave him a hard time. Why didn't you call us? He said, I called and you wouldn't deliver him out of my hand. They did that with Jephthah also. And so they fought with Jephthah and Jephthah defeated them. They were always envious. And the adversaries of Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not envy Judah, and Judah shall not vex Ephraim. And there's always been jealousy amongst the tribes of Israel. And he said, that'll be no more. That'll be no more. They shall fly upon the shoulders of the Philistines toward the west. They shall spoil them the east together. They shall lay their hand upon Edom and Moab, and the children of Ammon shall obey them. You know, they're going to take control of all that area, because that really belongs to them. And the Lord shall utterly destroy the tongue of the Egyptian sea. With his mighty wind shall he shake his hand over the river, shall smite it in the seven streams, and make men go over dry shod. And there shall be a highway for the remnant of his people, which shall be left from Assyria like as it was in, to Israel in the day that he came up out of the land of Egypt. And in that day thou shalt say, O Lord, I will praise thee, for thou, though thou wast angry with me, thine anger is turned away, and thou comfortest me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also has become my salvation. 
Therefore with joy shall you draw water out of the wells of salvation. And in that day shall you say, Praise the Lord, call upon his name, declare his doings among the people. Make mention that he, his name is exalted. Sing unto the Lord, for he hath done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. Cry out and shout, thou inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in the midst of thee. You see, these, these promises declared by his prophets are yet to be fulfilled. In Isaiah chapter 65, and I don't, I don't take time to read all these, but there's some interesting things that are yet to be fulfilled. Isaiah 65 verse 17, he says, Behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come into mind. But be ye glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem a rejoicing and, and her people a joy. And I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people. And the voice of weeping shall be no more heard in her, nor the voice of crying. You know, Jerusalem was not the joy of the Lord. It was a place where the Lord was crucified. And even, you're gonna, we're going to see in later on chapter 11 of Revelation, it, they're going to they're gonna slay the two witnesses during the tribulation period in Jerusalem. You know, Jerusalem this day is against God. Israel to this day is against God. There's going to come a day when they're going to joy in Jerusalem. Verse 19, And I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people, and the voice of weeping shall be no more heard in her, nor the voice of crying. There shall no more thence an infant of, old, of days, nor an old man that hath not filled his days. For the child shall die a hundred years old, but a sinner being a hundred years old shall be accursed. And they shall build houses and inhabit them, and they shall plant vineyards and eat the fruit of them. And they shall not build another inhabit, they shall not plant another eat, for the days of of a tree are the days of my people, and mine elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain, nor bring forth for trouble, for they are the seed of the blessed of the Lord, and their offspring with them. And it shall come to pass, that before they call, I will answer, and while they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together, the lion shall eat straw like the bullock, and the dust shall be the serpent's meat. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, saith the Lord. This is not the work of the United Nations. Although they like to quote, and they have some of these inscriptions on their symbols and, and their, their uh, um, yeah, what do you call them, signposts and things they have around the United Nations. But this is not the work of the United Nations. You know, one of these days they're going to ple- beat the swords into plowshares. It's going to be during the millennium. You see, these promises are yet to be fulfilled. Isaiah 49, 10. O Zion, that bringeth good tidings, get thee up unto the high mountains. O Jerusalem, that bringeth good tidings, lift up thy voice with strength. Lift it up, be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God will come with strong hand, and his arms shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work is before him. And there's many of these kind of promises in Jeremiah as well, and Ezekiel. And so, he's going to finish what has been declared to his servants. But this is the mystery. Why does the Lord tarry his coming? You know, the prophets spoke of it. Isaiah 700 years before Christ. 
So why does the Lord tarry his coming? You know, Matthew 21, Jesus told a parable about a householder who planted a vineyard and went into a far country. He went into a far country. And, of course, the householder is the Lord. And he went into a far country. And in Matthew 24, he talks about watching for the coming or the filling of his promises. But he says this about that day. He says, but of that day an hour knoweth no man. No, not the angels of heaven, but my father only. See, no man knows the day or the hour the Son of Man cometh. But he has delayed his coming, if you will. In Matthew 25, you have the, par- or the story or the parable of the, the kingdom of heaven being likened unto virgins with the lamps. And now, while they waited for the bridegroom, and all of them, it says, they, while the bridegroom tarried, they slumbered and slept. He delayed. In verses 14 through verses 31, he gives the parable of the talents. And it says in verse 19, After a long time the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoned with them. After a long time. You know, it's been a long time. You know, there were some at Corinth who said the resurrection has already passed. It's been such a long time that some have become scoffers because they've heard this that for, for, it has been taught for centuries that the Lord is coming. You know, every generation has thought it would be theirs. In fact, some say even Eve thought Cain was the promised seed. She said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And his Cain, his name means acquisition or possession. Interesting. You know what Abel's was? Vanity. How would you like to have your name mean vanity? And your brother's mean acquisition. You know, he's going to take possession of things. And you're just vanity. It was the hope of Jewish women to give birth to Messiah. Zacharias in Zacharias, or not in Zacharias, but in Luke chapter 1. Zacharias spoke of this hope that the children of Israel had after he was given his tongue back. And in Luke chapter 1, verse 68, he says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people, hath raised up an horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies, from the hand of all that hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham, that he would grant unto us that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear. Yeah, I believe Zacharias understood the salvation that the Lord would bring, but I also thought he thought, I also think he thought that he was going to deliver them from the Romans and set up his kingdom. Right? then and there. Basically, that's what most of the people in the New Testament thought. You know, the disciples were continually asking about that. 
And even, even when Jesus, just before he descended back to heaven, in Acts chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, they, they said, When therefore they were come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It's not for you to know the times of the seasons which the Father has put in his own power. In other words, they were expecting him to set up his kingdom right then and there. When Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 9 and 10, he says, For they themselves show of us what manner of entering we had unto you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. And you know, some of them took this so literally, they quit working. They literally quit working. Sort of like preppers, you know, in our day. Or squatters that, you know, just quit working. They're waiting for the return of their Lord of whatever it is. And, and you know, but they, some of them actually quit working. So when he wrote Second Thessalonians, he said, look, if any man does not work, neither should he eat. Some of you have become busybodies. You know, they expected the Lord to come in their day. And when he wrote chapter 4, you know, it makes it sound like he inspected, he expected him any time. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead shall rise and Christ, Christ uh, shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we be, ever be, with the Lord. Peter in 1 Peter 4, 7 says, but the end of all things is at hand. He said, it's at hand. Now, if somebody wrote a letter like that to you and said, your end is near, or your end is at hand, what would you think? Well, I'm going to go, I'm going to die and be with the Lord any day now. <laughs> you see, they all expected, even John in Revelation 22, the Lord said he'd come quickly, and John said, even so, come. Lord Jesus, come quickly. So why does the Lord tarry his coming? Why? With the curse of sin felt around the world in every nation, every family. You know, the first family experienced the first murder. Wickedness, war, bloodshed, slavery, famine, disease, sickness, and death has been man's story since the beginning of time. God's people have been hated, persecuted, tortured, and slain by the millions. And even in our time, many are persecuted and, and put to death. I just read the other day where a, a Christian man in, in, in India was taking his child to the doctor, and thousands, he said, thousands of these, uh, these uh, uh, radical Hindus surrounded his car, and, and he had to stop, and they dragged him out of his car, and, and, and he said that they would have beaten me to death, but somehow he escaped it and lived. I think I know the somehow. But some don't escape. You in the Middle East, North Africa, and Asia, 
So why would he tarry? Is, is, this, is this flood of sin to go on forever? The answer is no. It is no. When the evil ripens to a harvest of inedible reaping, God will intervene. Think about the first time God intervened. And what did he say about those times? Every imagination of the thought of man's heart was only evil continually. And there were only eight people that out of the millions or maybe billions of people lived on the earth at that time, there were only eight that God saved out of it. Only eight. You know, Revelation 14, 18 says, And another angel came out from the altar which had power over fire and cried with a loud cry to him that had the sharp sickle. A sickle is an, a reaping instrument. Saying, Thrust in thy sickle, sharp sickle, and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. You see, the world in the mind of God is not yet fully ripe to destroy man again in his wickedness. And though these things are seemingly so tragic to us that they seem to work against us, the amazing thing is the mysterious thing about it is these things, these catastrophes, mysteriously work to develop us and strengthen our relationship with the Lord. You know, the challenges and battles of life work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. You know, it's an interesting verse I ran across some time ago in Isaiah 26.10, which I made mental note of. I've never forgot. Isaiah 26.10 says this, Let favor be showed to the wicked, yet will he not learn righteousness. In the land of uprightness will he deal unjustly and will not behold the majesty of the Lord. Favor, in times of favor, man does not turn to the Lord. You know, the psalmist said, I think it's Psalm 119, verse 72, it's been good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy precepts. Study the Bible. In times of favor and blessing, what did Israel always do? They went away from God. But in times of hardship, of slavery in Egypt, of dominion of Moab coming in the land, invading the land. They, they, they would cry to God. And God would deliver them. And bless them again. But in that time of blessing, they'd just kind of wander back to the rebellion against God. Uh, we don't need him anymore. You know, that's man's story. In our times of blessing, we get, we, we're like, oh, we don't need him. We got our, you know, it's like the church of Laodicea. They were increased goods and had need of nothing. And God said, you're not 
cold or hot, and I would spew you out of my mouth. So these things, you know, this has been the question throughout the ages, why do the righteous suffer? That's the question of Job. Why did Job suffer? Job didn't know. His three friends didn't know. Elihu got it pretty close. But when God started to question Job with 85 questions and ask him, where were you when, this, when I did this? And where were you when I did that? And where were you when I did this? And who made this? And who? And Job said, you know what? There's a lot of things I don't know. I really don't know anything when it comes compared to you. Other things I understood not. You see, Job learned or was brought closer to the Lord because of his suffering. So don't lose heart. Don't give up. Though he tarry his coming, he will come at the right time. But it's not in our time. It's in his time. It's in his time. And this mystery is going to be finished. But I want to notice a fourth thing. I do have four things. The fulfilling of his promises brings sweet and bitter emotion to us. Look at chapter 10 again in verse 8. And the voice which I heard from heaven spake unto me again and said, Go and take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel which standeth upon the sea and upon the earth. And I went unto the angel and said unto him, Give me the little book. And he said unto me, Take it and eat it up. It shall make thy belly bitter, but it shall be in thy mouth sweet as honey. And I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it up. And it was in my mouth sweet as honey. And as soon as I had eaten it, my belly was bitter. And he said unto me, Thou shalt, thou, thou also, or thou must prophesy again before many people and nations and tongues and kings. This little book, which I believe is the Bible, he was to eat. We have several other examples like this in the scripture. Uh, in Jeremiah chapter 15, Jeremiah chapter 15, and verse uh, 16, Jeremiah 15, 16. <clears throat> Jeremiah said, Thy words were found. And I did eat them, and thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of my heart, for I am called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. I sat not in the assembly of mockers, nor rejoiced. I sat alone because of thy hand, for thou hast filled me with indignation. Why is my pain perpetual, and my wound incurable, which refuseth to be healed? Wilt thou be altogether unto me as a liar, and as waters that fail? Therefore, thus saith the Lord, if thou return, then will I bring thee again, and thou shalt stand before me. And if thou take forth the precious from the vial, thou shalt be as my mouth. Let them return unto thee, but return not unto them. And I will make unto thee, make thee unto this people a fenced brazen wall. They shall fight against thee, but they shall not prevail against thee. For I am with thee to save thee, and to deliver thee, saith the Lord. And I will deliver thee out of the hand of the wicked." 
and I will redeem thee out of the hand of the terrible. You know, the words, he said, they were joy to me. But then he said, I'm filled with indignation. Why is my pain perpetual and my wound incurable? He was prophesying the words that he partook of himself. He was prophesying to a people that would not hear. And they hated him. They persecuted him for it. They put him in a pit. They said, let's kill him. Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah has this glorious vision of the Lord in the days of Uzziah, that Uzziah died. He says in verse 1, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. It stood, above it stood the seraphims with each one six wings, with twain he covered his face, with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. One cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with thongs from off the altar. He laid it upon my mouth and said, Lord, our lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin is purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. That all sounds exciting so far. But notice verse 9. And he said, Go and tell this people, Hear ye indeed, but understand not. And see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat, make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and convert and be healed. Then said I, Lord, how long? How long do I got to do this? Until the cities be wasted without inhabitant, and the houses without man, and the land be utterly desolate. You see, his vision that he saw of the Lord was sweet. The word that he was given to prophesy was sweet. But knowing the people would reject it. And knowing their end because of the rejection was bitter. It made it bitter. Same is true Ezekiel chapters 2 verses 10 through chapter 3 verse 11 speaks of the same thing. You see, when we open this book, the Bible, we understand the wonderful blessings, the grace and mercy of God in redeeming us from sin giving us a lively hope by the resurrection of Christ, the precious promises of peace and security, inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for us, who are kept by the power of God. These are sweet and precious promises that God gives to us. Think of John 10.10. I am come that might have life, and they might have it more abundant. John 10.28. I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all. 
No man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. John 14, uh, John 14, verses 1 through 3. Um, somebody start it. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I would go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Or Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. Let your conversation be without covetousness, for he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So it may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Or 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 for 4, talks about these exceeding great and precious promises that God has given to us. And they are sweet to us. But when we study his word, we also come to understand the condemnation that has come upon all those who do not know him. You know, there is a bitterness when we realize that those who will not believe and receive these precious promises, there is a judgment and a condemnation, the sufferings of an eternal hell and lake of fire. It will be people that we know. Family members. You know, that's bitter. And even the hardships of life are sometimes a bitter pill to swallow. You see, this, this book is sweet and precious to us, but when we come to understand the consequences or the judgment that's to come upon this wicked world, and so when the angel said the Lord, to John, you eat it, it's going to be sweet in your mouth, but it's going to be bitter in your, in your, in your belly, because he said, you're going to have to prophesy before kings. You know, he had to, after he got this wonderful, glorious vision, you know what he had to do? He had to face the Romans still. Who boiled him in oil. He had to preach before kings. He had to go back to the church at Ephesus. He went back to the church at Ephesus. According to history. He had to continue to prophesy. That was what he was given to do. You see, the word of God is sweet to us in one sense. But in another, it is bitter. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Paul said this. Now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ, and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. For we are unto God a sweet savor in Christ, of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. To the one we are the savor of death unto death, and to the other the savor of life unto life. See, to the one we're a savor of life, to the other it's a savor of So this wonderful book brings us both sweet and bitter emotions. But John was commanded 
to continue to prophesy. You know, we must continue to prophesy. We must continue to warn. We must continue. We, we are not only to tell of the love of God, but we need to tell them of the judgment of God to come. If we don't tell of the judgment of God, we're not preaching the whole message. If we're not mourning the unsaved of the terrible consequences that's to come upon them, we're not giving them the whole message. You know, John 16 says the Spirit will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. When Paul was standing before Felix, the governor, he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. Do you know that guy was living in sin? He was an open in open immorality and Paul said preached to him temperance Felix you're living in sin John the Baptist said to Herod you, this 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 uh, um, how do you say uh, it's not law for you to have her you know what Jesus said to the Samaritan woman yeah you've had five and the one you now have is not your husband in that sayest thou truly He wasn't saying that to condemn her to death. He was saying that so she would realize she's a wicked sinner and needed a savior. At Athens, Paul said, God hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man which he hath ordained. You see, this book, is sweet to us. It gives us hope. It is man's only hope. It's man's only hope. And yes, it is sometimes brings bitterness or sorrow in their life. Not because of the Bible itself, but because of what men do with the Bible. What people we know do with the Bible not receiving it. But we are, as the angel told John, we must continue to prophesy. You know, one of these days, one of these days, it's all going to be over. God's going to finish it all. Praise the Lord. I say with John, even so come Lord Jesus. But it's in his time not ours. And when it does, we have no more opportunities to reach those who have not received the truth. And so until he does, you know, this is encouraging. You know, we live in a sin-cursed world and we can get tired of the wickedness of mankind. But it is the day of opportunity and until the Lord comes for us, we need to simply be faithful in prophesying or preaching or proclaiming his word that they too might escape the judgment that is to come.